Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. I'm pleased to share a panel discussion from the 2022 Craco Conference on the topic of where and how DCTs can truly enable and close the gaps between clinical research and clinical care. For more information about the Craco Conference, our editorials, podcasts, and webinars, please visit cracoevent.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. So hello and welcome to the panelists. I know I didn't get to meet many of you in person, so it's good to, good to see you uh, now. Um, we're going to get started at least with uh, brief introductions of, of each of you. And, and while you're, uh, as part of your intro, um, you know, decentralized trials was, was something that I know from, from my own um, sponsor background was something we kind of shifted into sort of a lift and shift to try to move forward during COVID. Um, and I think we had a lot of learnings. And, and so um, just to, to start, um, what do you see as your biggest learning during COVID uh, around decentralized trials and um, how, you know, what some of the challenges is around conducting, conducting them? So maybe we'll start at the end. Oh, okay. Um, well, so I'm Ramita Tandon, the uh, Chief Clinical Trials Officer at, at Walgreens, and, and thank you for having me at this panel today. Um, you know, at Walgreens, we recently launched our clinical trials business segment, and so um, as a retail institution during the COVID pandemic, we administered over 70 million vaccinations across the U.S. And for us, you know, putting aside the trials, it was more about how do we get these vaccinations into communities that you know, don't have an appreciation of the, the benefit of vaccines? Mm -hmm. you know, there was tremendous amount of resistance around the adoption of the vaccines. So at Walgreens, there was a lot of grassroots efforts. It wasn't a one-size-fits-all strategy you know, in order for people to get educated and empowered and then make the decision to be able to have uh, the vaccination or the shots in the arms. And so, you know, through the course of our pandemic, you know, we as an organization are evolving into a healthcare entity overall as we start to look at delivering healthcare services into our local communities using our physical footprint. We've got about 9,000 stores and pharmacies across the U.S. We service about 160 million lives that, you know, visit our stores and pharmacies. So we're very focused on um, deploying consumer-centric healthcare services um, in the efforts to... Um, you know, break away from some of this fragmentation that we're seeing in, in healthcare and start to create more interoperability. And so from a trials perspective, we're using a lot of our learnings from the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, first and foremost, really understand how do we educate and empower these communities mm -hmm. so they not only understand the value of clinical research and trials, but more importantly, start to see trials as a care option. And so for us, we are very passionate and very focused on making sure that clinical trials is not simply nuanced in this research ecosystem, but part of the broader healthcare ecosystem, and so that we can start to see every physician practices, community-based practices, start to offer trials as a care option um, to give more accessibility to our patient populations across the nation. Thank you, Ramita. Susan? Hi, everybody. Susan Wong. Yes, I'm the one that asked the question about the PA thingy. So, you know, one of the hats that I wear, the other hat that I wear is work, I'm over at Genentech working in early development um, with clinical compliance. The other hat that I'm wearing, uh, which is today, is with Transcelerate. And I joined Transcelerate about a year and a half ago. And in that, 
um, the learnings that uh, came from Tencelerate is they actually listened. They listened to the 20-member uh, company with about 1,000 uh, experts that participate within Transcelerate, and they heard that what they needed was a MCTC, which is a Modernizing Clinical Trial Conduct um, Solutions, and they looked at seven um, actual modern solutions um, in which uh, could service from the decentralized clinical trials. And looking at those solutions, um, they, they actually... Um, their objective was to provide um, tools, which is called the OCAT tools. Uh, yes, I'm trying to memorize all of these things, so as <laughs> I deliver them to you, and I have my little cheat sheet here. <laughs> the um, Operationalized Complexity Assessment Tool, and that tool is actually available on the Transcelerate website. And with the process solutions, those two hand in hand is something that the sponsor companies, as well as our other stakeholders, can take a look at to be able to find out where their interactions and, as a key stakeholder, where you would actually be able to engage um, in in the involvement and develop uh, in the involvement of um, decentralized clinical trial utilization. Um, I'll answer the other questions in terms of the challenge, uh, because actually uh, Transcelerate did conduct a survey, a maturity survey, um, that was a result of some of the lessons from the COVID time period, which is only really two years old in terms of our, our learning. So I'll share a little bit about the maturity survey um, in following questions. Yes. Jamie? Good afternoon, I'm Jamie Harper. I'm the Director of Site Engagement and Relations for WCG Clinical, specifically 3WIRE. I'm also um, serving on this panel from the site perspective. Prior to joining WCG, I was the Director of Clinical Research for a private community oncology practice for 13 years. Um, so being in the rural community uh, with 15 different clinics for oncology, um, we had a lot to figure out. Um, from the COVID perspective, um, I found that it's possible. You know, what was before, it was too hard before. We couldn't make um, remote visits easy because it was too hard. We couldn't uh, provide access, remote access to our EHR because it was too hard. And we didn't have to, quite frankly. During the COVID pandemic, um, we didn't shut down our clinical trial program. We couldn't, they're cancer patients. So we had to figure out very quickly how to make remote visits work. How do we get remote access to our EHR? How are we going to make that work? So it is possible. Now we just need to use that momentum and that motivation to get to that next level of hard. What maybe we're not doing it now because it's too hard, I, I don't think we have that excuse anymore. Yeah. Christina? Hi, thank you. Um, following actually, you know, on, on the site perspective, um, Christina Brennan, I'm the Vice President for Clinical Research at Northwell Health in New York, um, and been here for years, one of the largest providers here in New York State. So I want to echo some of the comments, and I would say very early on, challenges during COVID just to quickly figure things out. But then after that, I look at it as opportunities because we were doing things that we talked about before, but we, we were never doing. And from one of the first times when we talk about for years, clinical research as a care option, and I'm happy to be a part of these meetings since the inaugural meeting, I think COVID allowed us for one of the first times to really be partners with um, providers 
where there weren't many options for COVID and clinical research was thought of as a care option as a first line rather than sometimes when we think about oncology, we hear people thinking of clinical trials as a last resort. So I think, you know, DCTs taught us a lot. And once we figured everything out and like was said quickly, now, you know, we had lots of opportunities. The outreach of patients that um, in geographic footprints that we had never reached before. Um, and those are sometimes the patients that are challenged to be a part of trials. Um, and we talked about before how some of these challenges with DEI um, in general for clinical trials, they, they almost go hands in hand with DCTs, where now you have more opportunities in that space as, as well. So thank you. Yeah. And I think all of you touched on the concept of the art of the possible and, and looking at ways to, to really you know, make something that has been sort of a, a struggle more possible. Can you maybe share, I know we have different perspectives on the panel, um, perhaps starting from a site perspective, Jamie, what did you see as some of the biggest challenges? I, I think you touched on slow to, to adopt and, you know, but you know, what did you see as some of the, the ways that you were able to kind of grease the wheel and, and move things forward? Sure. Um, I think technology is still an issue. Um, from two different sides, there are still sites out there that use paper charts. There are still sites out there that don't have an electric document repository system. So how do we provide remote visits? How do we provide remote monitoring to sites still using paper and pencil? I think there's still that challenge of trying to figure that out. But then on the other side, coming from my community site, we had to develop an entire team just to teach patients how to download Zoom to their phone, how to sign in, how to build an account, how to use the camera function to show a physician if they're having a rash, just to teach them the technology. So it was time intensive mm -hmm. for the patient. And then also the internet access was an issue in my area as well. Um, we still have a large constituent of our practice that doesn't have access to Wi-Fi. They use hotspots um, or satellite internet. So having that availability to a consistent mm -hmm. internet is still a struggle when you're looking at providing remote visits. And Christina, do you want to add anything else from a healthcare perspective? What the challenges yeah, or obstacles? Um, so I agree. You know. Technology, people can be challenged, um, you know, all the time. And, and again, if you think about even if we didn't have um, DCTs, but just challenged by technology when we switched during COVID to all telehealth visits, um, you know, patients, that was their only way to see their providers. So everyone had to figure out how to use telehealth. So I think that you know becomes a challenge still, and like was mentioned, maybe in rural areas, sometimes people don't have phones. But I think if we think of it not in a fully virtual um, clinical trial, but maybe a hybrid approach and putting back into the patient's hands, uh, you know, more of a patient centricity of what is it that you would like. We know it's challenged for you to make it to all the site visits. You know, can we do some of these in a hybrid approach? But technology will still remain a challenge, and it and it's not new. Um, 
just in DCTs, you know, in a space like cardiology that has been using wearables for quite some time, you know, we, we go through those challenges with patients, you know, back then for years. You know, we, we, don't, we don't see halter monitors anymore, the, the big clumsy ones that, you know, we used to wear. Now they're tiny little ones that get, you know, attached to the skin. So we've been having those types of wearables and follow-up remote visits um, for years, if you will. But again, it centers around, you know, technology. And Susan, how about from a pharma perspective? I know for us, one of the things was just how woefully unprepared we were, um, you know, as far as making sure we had the, the support, you know, certainly from, from a lot of our, our internal stakeholders. But I'm curious your experience? My personal experience, I think, is just getting all the stakeholders to um, being part of the conversation and understanding where they sit in terms of being able to deploy it from a patient safety perspective as well as from a data management or a data, you know, integrity perspective. But Transcelerate, actually, as I mentioned before, MCTC had conducted a survey, and as I mentioned before, there were seven modern solutions that we identified, which were direct-to-patient shipping, e-consent, home health visits, telemedicine, remote site monitoring, digital data collection tools, and local community facilities. And of those seven, uh, we did conduct within the member companies um, a survey which comprised of about four different questions. And it was to ask what was the most experience the pharma companies had. And it ended up being about 60% with the digital, data, uh, digital tools, um, the remote site monitoring, um, and uh, let's see, the home health care and direct to patient was about 25%, local facilities was about 20%. And then e-consent and EHR to EDC was about 10%, surprisingly. Um, what did they find that was the most, um, from the member companies, the pharma companies, was the most challenging was actually the regulatory, uh, the laws and the privacy issues. And that's actually something that we are looking at right now in 2022 is to figure out what those regulatory barriers are and if they're real or they're perceived. Uh, and we're having that opportunity to have a dialogue um, with the agency on that. We also found that phase two and phase three are where it's mostly being used um, in terms of these tools. And then site, uh, uh, remote site monitoring and the digital data tools and directed uh, patient shipping of IMP are the three top um, ones that are being um, used right now to get lessons learned. And I think this is what we will learn over the next mm -hmm. several years is lessons learned from those types of. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I'm going to switch to education and, and, you know, at least what are some of the things that, you know, can be done to be a little bit more proactive um, from an education perspective to really look to reducing burden? Um, you know, certainly on the patients, you know, I think some of the concern is, you know, are we moving burden from the sponsor to the site to the patient? You know, what, what are some of the things that... Um, you know, can be done. And Ramita, I don't know if you want to start. And Christine. Yeah, I mean, I think from a retail perspective, certainly, you know, our goal, obviously, we service 160 million consumers and patients that visit our stores and pharmacies on a regular basis. And so for us, it's critical about making sure that we have a seamless experience and convenience as we think about how to hyper-personalize our services to our patients and consumers that visit our Walgreens. And so, um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, we partnered with a number of faith-based organizations 
with the number of grassroots organizations in local communities because you know, obviously we all know the statistic out there that less than 5% of the US population participates in clinical research. And of that cohort, 75% are you know, Caucasian male. And so there's tremendous need for us to educate and empower people to understand what clinical research is. Because if you go into certain communities, they'll give you two responses, at least what we found in our ecosystem. Either they're not aware of what clinical research is, or simply there's a big mistrust, particularly in communities of color and socially vulnerable areas that have a, you know, the, the shadow that's cast from the Tuskegee syphilis study, right? So um, we've actively worked with local organizations within our pharmacy infrastructure where we've got a you know, 120 year brand and trust with our local communities and activating our pharmacy care teams to start to help patients understand the value um, of what clinical research can be for these guys. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna happen overnight and we recognize that. Okay. And I think there's gonna require an ecosystem of partners to help us, particularly as a large retail organization, to start to move the needle and start these communities, particularly communities that don't have any access, what this means in, in trying to participate in clinical trials. Great. And Christina, do you wanna to touch on some of the education stuff within your health system? Yeah, so, you know, as large as we are, we're, um, we're almost 80,000 employees. I think a lot of our focus is on awareness. Um, oftentimes, in our own employees don't know that we participate in clinical research at all. So if our employees don't know, who sort of are our ambassadors to our patients and community members and others, then you know we're not doing a good job on letting them know. So and, and I agree with um, community-based outreach as well. Um, and we did things like that, you know, starting with the COVID vaccines first. You know, going into the communities and where people feel the most trusted areas, places of worship, um, community centers, salons, barbershops, all of that. And that's where patients feel comfortable. And when we were successful there, you know, we repeated the behavior, um, just COVID testing and then clinical trial information. And just in general, we keep going back to those communities that we serve um, and continuous awareness to our employees. I, I feel like if people don't know what's going on, they certainly won't know to be able to spread the word that we even participate in clinical trials. That's great. And I guess one question, um, you know, in terms of, you know, benefit to patients, you know, I, I know there, there have been lots of conversations around, you know, decentralized trials as being the um, panacea for diverse recruitment. Um, but, you know, I'm curious some of your thoughts in terms of the, the true benefit that, that um, you're seeing from decentralized trials. Is that for me or someone else? Um, okay. I, I, Ramita, I think, sure. to, to, just to Sure. Um, I think it's around, again, from our perspective, is the hyper-personalization for our patient communities. How do we make it more local, convenient, and improve experience? Now, technology is a piece of that. I don't think it's going to solve everything to the point that you made earlier about some of the challenges trying to force technology in areas that you know don't have the full education of how to adopt technologies. Um, but I think as we continue to deploy tactics and strategies, it's all about thinking about the patient first 
and what's going to make most sense as we start to you know, bring trials to patients versus patients coming to trials. And I think that's the important message, at least from our perspective as a retailer. Any other thoughts as far as that? I mean, I, I think it's, you know, at least in terms of, you know, the more we can raise awareness of, of clinical trials first and foremost, um, and then find ways to make it easy and adoptable for patients, I, th I think is important. I, I can add to that. I think in terms of awareness, we also have to remember, too, that despite the fact that we're here at a conference and we're all representing our particular roles, we're all patients, too. We all have folks that we know have had cancer or infectious disease or whatever that might be where there may not be any treatment options. I myself am a breast cancer survivor. So, you know, I participated in a couple of clinical trials. And so bringing that type of experience personally and then taking that passion and being able to share it with folks, I think that's that awareness and that vulnerability gives other people the strength to be able to then put themselves out there and be able to participate in clinical trials. I think the other aspect is, is also having conversations. Like if, you know, social media is so, so powerful. If you see something, just like tag on to that or, you know, share it or, or something to that effect. I mean, that's the power of where we are at this particular stage. And I think the other aspect too is also doing decentralized clinical trials when we think about retention of patients and we leverage technology, we have the ability to stay engaged as a sponsor company, to stay engaged with the patients and being able to get that, think about all the apps that you have on your phone right now and how engaged you continuously are in, in your health or, or otherwise. Yeah. And I think just to, to add a comment, I think the importance of flexibility. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, Things aren't always, and, and I think the one, you know, we're learning from our conversations with patients. Patients want different things. You know, there isn't necessarily a one-size-fits-all. And so finding ways to be as flexible as possible, you know, with the interventions that are available to them. Um, you know, we, we had some conversations during COVID with some of our patient advocacy groups, and, you know, patients were really missing that in-person, tactile conversation with, with their physician. Um, so finding ways to, to find balance and, and really understand from the patient's perspective what is in their best interest and what they're looking for. So maybe um, with seven and a half minutes and then we have, we have some time for questions, maybe if we go round robin and, and so I, I you know, kind of fast forward thinking um, next year, to five years, I know someone said one year. That that, that kind of goes like <laughs> like lightning, but um, you know, thinking what what do you all see as the future for decentralized trials um, as a as a care option going forward? Um, anyone want to start? Yeah, I mean, I, I think again from a retailer's perspective, it's about just making sure that we can get ac give access to all the communities that really need to get access and. Um, providing the information and, you know, the flexibility is a big thing. You know, I think if we can, you know, afford flexibility of options to the patients, again, trials to patients, mm -hmm. um, I think it'll go a long way in however we configure the technology or the process or the infrastructure. It's all about how do we make it convenient with improved experience as they participate. Agree. 
to totally agree with everything that she's saying. <laughs> but, you know, in addition to that, I, when I ask the question of how many people have actually stepped foot into a bank and, and cashed their check, it's been a long time, right? And you use the app to be able to do that. You trust the app and you trust the technology and the data transfer and so forth that it's your hard-earned money that's going, you know, virtually into these accounts. Mm -hmm. So where do I see DCTs? It take a little while. We have a little road to travel and we have some lessons to learn and share with each other, but that's where I see it. And I think we're already starting to see some of it take shape, but I see DCTs as a great way to gain new investigators, mm -hmm. to gain new clinician engagement, to um, get people interested and engaged in conducting clinical research who may not have been before. And that goes along to what you mentioned, Christine, with that DE&I initiative, bringing that um, those that research opportunities to the communities, but I think I also think we have an opportunity to. We had just talked about awareness and education to learn from each other, meaning the sponsors and the coordinators. Um, it was mentioned earlier about bringing the coordinators more into the clinical care team. I think. Um, sponsors can do some of that as well as the coordinators are the front line. They're the ones talking to the patients. They understand what the patients need, what they want, what they feel they could do remotely instead of coming in every two weeks. The patient can say, well, I could just do this from my home. Yep. And having the sponsors collaborate with those coordinators in developing protocols that are more easily and readily conducted as a DCT or a remote trial. And that's a great point, aligning with the theme of partnerships. You know, and, and you know, I think the ability for us to, to be able to work together in new and unique ways um, to, to really make it simpler. Um, Christine, any thoughts? Uh, I think it's still gonna take some time, but I think it's um, going forward, it's gonna continue to be a great tool and I always say that it's best when we think about things that are in real practice and you know case studies so people can continue to focus on things. We talk about COVID a lot, but I, I just want to end, you know, for my part with an example, even current, you know, many of us have now heard about monkeypox um, and, and the numbers in um, the United States are highest in the world, um, although improving. We at, in New York, again, we always seem to be uh, the center for cases, but we partnered with our clinicians and, and they had to work with research because it's under an expanded access through uh, the CDC. But we, we told you know, our investigators, we're gonna do this completely remotely. Um, and we were able to, from the e-consent to telehealth visits and medication delivered to the patient's home, so I think when we think of ways even to partner with our providers, um, we're gonna move forward with this and be able to apply it to a lot of different areas. So I think we're gonna see good success with it. That's great. Great messages to, to my team here. Um, any questions from the audience or comments? Christina, we have a question. I'll try yeah. one. So this, you know, the, the, uh, this is the shape of kind of what's coming next. You know, I was in a conversation earlier this morning, and, and it was really framed around 
um, this paradigm between the existing sites and what's coming, you know, what, what else is emerging in this space? And I don't view these as uh, zero-sum games. I think this is additive. I think all of this is additive because there's going to be stuff that's appropriate to be done in a local pharmacy with a person being made aware of something or participating that will be different than what can happen at Northwell, for example, or in a traditional site that's got 20 years of experience doing it. So I'm curious, after listening to all of this, you know, if we if we look at five years from now, is 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 awareness uh, top of mind? I, I'd love to hear from each of you. Is it awareness, or is it how do we actually use this infrastructure um, to do trials in those physical spaces? And and if that's the case, I'd love to hear each of your thoughts on on kind of the themes from this morning, which is where will the coordinators come from, where will the doctors come from? Because I think that's yeah, going to be the the, the the real challenge here. Thanks. Anyone want to tackle? I could, again, start from the, the, the Walgreens retail side. We, um, we're activating our locations across the, the U.S. to serve as clinical trial sites. Um, we believe it's an alternative site model. We're not looking to displace the current infrastructure, but it's, again, it's another opportunity to hyper-personalize and localize trials to patients. So we're starting that today. We do, I, I mean, from my perspective, I do believe it's going to be a broad ecosystem of a number of sites that become available. And if we can start to figure out how to partner and work together, mm -hmm. it then is a win-win for the patient because then the patient can go to, you know, a, a Northwell to get their, you know, um, care done and then be able to come into a Walgreens clinical trial site for a follow-up or an interim visit so that they don't have to trek over, you know, far to a clinical trial site. So we've activated a number of locations across the U.S. to, to start this. Um, we'll see how things go in the next five years, but our goal is to be able to partner with a number of provider sites to kind of integrate um, a more of a, a holistic and a seamless approach. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to have some good case studies yes. with some of that, because I think that it. helps tear down the barriers and, and make it much easier for, for folks going forward. I don't know if any other question. thoughts, but it was a great question. Great question. So um, with that, I think thank you to, the, to my panelists. And um, I think we really touched on a lot of key issues. And um, Christina, thank you for joining us remotely. And thank you. Uh, we'll uh, continue on with, with the program. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Craco Conference, our editorials, podcasts, and webinars, please visit cracoevent.com. Thank you.